0: Hey, Corey, I got a surprise for you.
1: Surprise. All right. Well, so that's new. Uh, what is it?
0: Um, it's actually a number, 52.
1: <laughs> All right, so uh, happy birthday?
0: Well, afraid not. It is not my birthday, but it is the percent of the U.S. rental market that's owned and managed by do-it-yourself landlords.
1: All right, so that means then, Steve, that over half of the rental units in the country are outside of the institutional space?
0: Yes, and it's a segment of the market that we've historically known the least about. But today, we're going to hear about how there is much more to know, and it's really timely information as renters are feeling the impacts of the pandemic.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. I'm
0: Corey Aber. And I'm Steve Guggenwas. Today on the show, we're going to dive into a segment of the rental market that has traditionally been so hard to learn about. We're welcoming Ryan Kuhn, co-founder and CEO of Avail. He can share with us what this universe of rentals looks like, where they're located, who owns them, who lives there, and how both owners and renters are dealing with the impacts of the pandemic. Ryan, thanks for being here.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be talking with you today.
0: Yeah, and we are... um, so happy. Uh, first, uh, we want to start and give you an opportunity to give people a little bit of background on Avail and and how it is that uh, you guys have come to being and have such a unique a spot looking into the
2: market. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, about half of all the rental units here in the United States are owned and managed really by men and women like the three of us who are busy full-time professionals, and they happen to own a handful of rentals Handful of single family homes or a couple of duplexes on the side, in addition to their full time job. Now, historically, these men and women who are these DIY part time landlords, they historically haven't had access to the same tools and resources and software and all of those things that big institutional owners had. And that was actually the pain point that my co founder Lawrence and I felt about seven years ago when we started brainstorming and and developing the Avail product. So at that time, Lawrence and I, we were both working here in Chicago for large investment banks. We both owned a couple of rentals and we were stuck. We were managing our properties with spreadsheets. Um, We found that that was inefficient for us and led to a poor experience for the renters and the properties. So we ended up leaving full-time jobs. We spent a few years learning how to code, Um, We've built an amazing customer base, an amazing team here in Chicago, and have really just had rapid growth over the past seven years, bringing tools and resources uh, to the non-institutional part of the market. And then most recently, and one of the uh, updates that I'm really excited to share with you all is just last week on December 15th, we actually announced that Avail is or was acquired by Realtor.com. So what that means is that going forward, we'll have even more resources to build tools and, and resources for these non-institutional landlords and their renters.
0: That's great. Uh, congratulations. I'm sure that uh, a lot of work led up to that. And, uh, and certainly, I think that you've been gaining credibility in the market as, as you've kind of been tracking things lately. We've been talking a little bit about the DIY owner, the non-institutional market. I wonder if you could give a little bit of background for people that that aren't as familiar with those terms, Um, you know, what this looks like, like what what are the units and things like that?
2: Yeah, of course. So um, the Avail product is really meant and designed for these individual landlords, individuals who may own a single family home or a couple single family homes. Um, Today on our platform is everything from those single family rentals all the way up to what I would call smaller multifamily properties. So your five unit walk-up building, your 10 unit walk-up building. And landlords from all across the United States use the Avail product really to help simplify and streamline how they manage units. Um, Today, there's something like 60,000 units that have been managed with the Avail product just this year. And what that does is it gives us really unique insights and data into what's actually happening in this part of the market. And Steve, like you mentioned earlier, this part of the market historically, because it is so fragmented, historically, people have often ignored it. And there hasn't been a lot of good data no one has really been able to track the trends in this part of the market and that's really where over the past 8 or 9 months our team has been trying to step up and do more to provide data and insights and some transparency into what's otherwise a very opaque part of the market
1: so that's fantastic so so let's talk about some of that data that you're able to uh, that you're able to see you know now that now that you're, you're in this business and, and now that all these landlords have access to, uh, to tools?
2: Yeah, so about eight, eight or nine months ago, I guess it's been nine months, it's, it's back in March of this year, really when the pandemic was just starting uh, to get a lot of attention. One of the things that my team and I did is we, we sat around and we, we tried to brainstorm and understand just what are the, the challenges that would be facing renters and landlords during this pandemic. And one of the things that we uncovered is that a lot of them simply aren't, I mean, none of us have really been prepared for for a pandemic. Um, But renters and landlords in particular um, have, have not really gotten a lot of the attention that they need. And so we really saw an opportunity to step up and serve the community by providing not only um, guidance around different rent programs, rent relief programs, and those things, um, but more importantly, actually gathering and publishing out data and insights on this part of the market. So we've been tracking things like rent payment trends um, across geography and across different rent price points. And so we're able to really um, surgically understand who's struggling the most, what parts of the market are doing okay, and which parts of the market, you know, unfortunately may not be doing so well right now.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, I know that you've made available the, uh, the data studio that goes together with that. And, and I was just looking at it. Um, what, you know, we're recording this in December, the, the November data is, is out. And, um, you know, uh, much of the industry is watching what the NMHC is reporting in terms of rent collections. I know that you have your own measure on that, and I saw that in November. Um, uh, you know, the 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 folks that are unable to pay full or partial payments actually increased by th- by three percentage points during the month. Um, that maybe you can talk about. Um, you know, uh, maybe. The, the source of that data and you know that you get the geographies that it covers and things like that.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, and so, as as you mentioned, um, NMHC does a fantastic job tracking rent payments across the the really institutional part of the rental market, and they've got their um, rent payment tracker that does a good job gathering data from the big property management software platforms and nmhc does a good job publishing that here at what we do at avail um listeners can head over to avail.co data and they can actually start to peruse our kind of alpha version of what we call our data studio and in this data studio what we do is we track these uh, percentage of full and partial payments over time and unfortunately what we saw in november is a continued uptick in the percentage of people that are not, or or the percentage of renters that were unable to pay their rent during November. Um, If you look back over a longer period of time, we actually saw that the trend really started in April. So going back to April 2020 is when we started to to see that real impact of the pandemic start. Um, In terms of geography, we're tracking payments all across the country. There's properties and units on our platform in something like 20,000 zip codes nationwide. So this data studio and the data that we're, we're gathering here is really all encompassing over the entire country. Um, one of the things that we have not uh, really, really made public quite yet, but we will be in the future is Um, different uh, filters to where people can sort it based on geography, based on MSA or city. And one of the things that I can share today is that, um, not surprisingly, the markets with a high percentage of tourism and hospitality um, industries are unfortunately the ones that are being hurt the most. That's where renters are, it turns out, are the most vulnerable. And are hurting the most because of the pandemic and the resulting unemployment and furloughs and layoffs that have occurred. Right, and and I think that
0: uh, it is really fantastic. I was I was perusing the data as, as you said, and w- was able to look across a few metros, which was which was fantastic, and it and it gives average rents and things like that, so people can really get a feel for what this. Uh, uh, diy space looks like and and certainly it's 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 not the top of the market it's capturing a, a broader segment of the market and one of the findings that i that i know that i've seen you speak to recently was that you can look across the distribution of those units and and you were finding that payments were you know more in question at the, at the lowest end of the market as well
2: yeah that's right steven one of the things that's really unfortunate is there's been a lot of talk of the K-shaped recovery, and that that's what our data shows as well. Is that people who are paying the um, say above the median um, in terms of the rent payment, the monthly rent payments, those individuals tend to be doing okay. They're they're continuing to pay rent at or maybe even slightly above the the percentage that they would pay historically. Now, if you zoom in on the lowest 20% of the market, that's where where trouble is occurring. And that's where renters are unable to pay their rent. And that's really the part of the market that's suffering. And so, um, again, when you you zoom out and you look market-wide, you would say, maybe it just, the, the percentage of non-payments ticked up a couple percent. That's really not that bad. But then you zoom in on that bottom twenty percent, and you realize, holy cow, um, people are are really hurting right now.
1: So, Ryan, are you are you seeing in that in those different segments of the market? Are you also seeing some differentiation among uh, who the landlords are?
2: We we do see that happen a little bit, Corey. Um, One of the things that that we've done is over the past um, three or four months, we've developed a really strong partnership and relationship with the folks over at Urban Institute, who are real heavily um, tracking this part of the market. They're they're really heavily working with the data. And one of the things that the Urban Institute information shows is that individuals who own lower income properties are disproportionately Black and Hispanic landlords. Um, And what we're finding is actually, that those Black and Hispanic landlords are the ones suffering the most right now. Um, They're the ones who are not receiving the rent and for a variety of reasons, also don't really have a ton of liquidity. They don't have a lot of personal savings that they can tap into. So they're the ones that are struggling the most. Um, But what we found that's also unique about this this specific population of landlords is that these Black and Hispanic landlords, while they are being hurt the hardest, they are also the most willing to work with their renters to develop rent deferment plans and to try and come up with creative win-win solutions. Yeah, Ryan, I think
0: that that is, you know, some of these things that you're citing right now are some of the most interesting things that we're, we're getting from the data. And I know that, you know, during the pandemic, there's a lot of discussion of, you know, renters are in a position that, that they're struggling and they're having to prioritize rent payments or consider, uh, you know, what they do with other bills. Um, one thing that you've been able to capture as well is that uh, the, the owners are, are in a similar situation, uh, that uh, that the this isn't just uh, owners are in one are you know in a in an okay position and renters are, are tougher um, for this segment of the market uh, it's affecting both.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right, Stephen. I think a lot of what um, there's this common misconception out there that individuals who own rental properties are very well off and they're they're just making a ton of money and they own these rentals and that unfortunately couldn't be further from the truth, is that a lot of these individual landlords, these men and women, they're hardworking individual Americans. Um, they own these properties either really as a way to build a little bit of passive income or to save for retirement. They're not the, the super wealthy, high net worth individuals. Um, and so when they own these rental properties, and their renter is unable to pay the rent, it puts a lot of pressure on these landlords. And the reason it does that is because the landlord, while they're not receiving that income, they are still responsible in most cases for paying things like their mortgage, for paying property taxes, for paying for all of the upkeep and the repairs and maintenance that go into keeping a rental property habitable. And so these landlords are, are feeling a lot of pressure and stress right, right now. In fact, when we look at um, survey data, we surveyed our entire population back in October. Um, what we found is, is somewhat startling. It's actually that about a third of landlords are actually considering or are being forced to consider to sell their rentals. And as we know, these individual landlords really are the fabric of their local community. They, they shop at the local retailers. And so this is something that I think a lot of people are paying attention to and, and rightfully are trying to find, a, find solutions to.
1: So, so then you're, are you starting to see sales, uh, sales of properties creep up and, and are, are you starting to see a, a destabilizing effect of that on the communities?
2: Yeah, so I think what we're, what we're seeing is um, that we're not, not quite yet to that point. Um, one of the things that we do actively track is the percentage of landlords that close their accounts or stop using the Avail product, and we also track the reasons for that. And one of the common reasons why someone would leave the Avail platform is that they exited the landlording business altogether. Now, fortunately, we haven't really seen that, that number move materially yet, but based on the survey information that we're capturing, we do find that the landlords are thinking about, it, about selling more than ever. One of the other trends that, that we do track and that is, is a little bit surprising to me actually, is actually the, the rigidness or the, the uh, standards that landlords are using when they're actually screening prospective renters. This is another uh, trend that we've been tracking. And although landlords are dealing with non-payment where renters are unable to pay, landlords are also dealing with vacancies. And then, but what's interesting is that they are becoming a little bit um, more selective in choosing renters for their units. So that's another um, potentially destabilizing factor that's going on out there in the market is that people are being being more selective in who they rent to. These are factors that certainly, um,
0: like you say, if, even if we aren't witnessing um, uh, dramatic changes in the market real time, um, with with the effects of people, you know, moving out of of the landlord business at least for um, a property or two, that that likely. Turns that rental property over into uh, an owner an owner uh, op- occupied property, and uh, and and if criteria on screening renters is going up, that certainly both of those factors kind of make it a more limited universe for folks that uh, that really need this housing, um, and so I think it is really important that you uh, um, are able to 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 find these things out.
2: Yeah, I th- I think that's. Wh- um... Steve, exactly like you just said, where these homes that previously were rental units that that were in the rental market, and as those either get sold to other real estate investors who will um, improve them and maybe raise the rents, or they will exit the rental market altogether and become owner-occupied, I think those two factors are are certainly at risk of, of taking away some of that naturally occurring affordable housing units here in the country, um, which could further kind of accelerate the affordability crisis in different markets.
1: So Ryan, you mentioned uh, er, early on about some, some of the differences between markets that rely a lot on on tourism and other similar industries versus those that That don't are. uh, Can we get into that a little bit more and and see some of those differences in in behaviors there or or impact there? What are you seeing in the data?
2: Yeah, I think what we're we're seeing in the data, um, maybe not surprising, is that markets, um, say like Nevada, in and around Las Vegas, or in and around Orlando. I mean, those those two cities in particular, Vegas and Orlando are um, very heavily dependent on tourism very heavily dependent on hospitality and because the pandemic has led to a, a significant reduction in leisure and travel and hospitality unfortunately those two markets in particular have been very hard hit during the pandemic um and it it makes sense it's as soon as the businesses and the employers in those markets start struggling, they unfortunately had to reduce their staffs. And as people were being laid off or furloughed or um, their hours were being reduced, one of the things that then happened is it put a lot of pressure on people's ability to continue paying rent and so those markets in particular have been hard hit Um, we have seen a little bit of kind of flattening so what i would say is back in march and april and may um, there was a downward trend in percentage of on-time payments Um, that seems to have somewhat stabilized now Um, but with some of the different changes that could happen here towards the end of the year with Um, say the the eviction moratorium and or um, the expiration of different benefits like it's it's anybody's guess really what happens in those markets um, going forward over the next three to six months before things can hopefully return to normal
1: yeah were there were there any uh, markets where maybe you were surprised by the results like like you would think there would be a negative impact and, and maybe it wasn't as bad as expected or, or some counterintuitive points in there?
2: Yeah, I think what we found um, is early on in the pandemic, there there was a lot written about this like mass exodus out of New York City. And I continue seeing it a little bit in some of the major media. Um, but New York City, for example, is one market that has held up uh, incredibly well during this, um, at least according to the data that we're seeing here at Avail. Um, other, other markets that have done well or have, have even strengthened would be um, maybe some of your, I'll call them second tier technology hubs. So cities like Austin and Seattle um, have, have continued to remain pretty healthy and strong
1: interesting what, what about um, what about just an urban versus suburban shift have you seen an you know increase in performance in suburban uh, areas or, or less dense areas as a result
2: yeah that, that's definitely one of the things that we've seen as well um, I mean I think that suburban rentals um, tend to be a little bit more insulated from this I think that they tend to as a whole, I think rent amounts in suburban homes tends to be a little bit higher than that in kind of your major urban core, um, at least for the properties on the AVAIL platform, um, on this non-institutional part of the market. I think that over the past eight to nine months, we've a lot of us have probably read about the flight from cities to suburbs. I think that's helping things a little bit Um but yeah, the, the suburbs have, have held up really strong.
1: Ryan, thanks, thanks very much for that. And you know, over the last you know, nine months, you know, we've seen a lot, you're seeing a lot in the data, and, and, and I think we've all learned a lot in, in the industry. Um, what do you see ahead of us and, and what are some of those lessons that you've learned?
2: Yeah, Corey, well, I think one of the things that we've seen here in the housing industry, but broader across kind of all parts of life, is that the pandemic is really just accelerating and exposing some of the trends, whether positive or negative, that existed all along. But the pandemic has just brought those things upon us faster and is forcing us to change more. And so I think one of the things that we've learned a lot over the past nine months is really just how little infrastructure exists in the rental market. And I can share a couple of stories. So number one, we've been working with a group down in Houston that is really focused on helping their local rental market and is helping both landlords along with renters. And what, what happened is they had some funding set aside to, to help individual landlords and real estate investors. But what, what they did is they put out... Um, put things out across the media, put things on social media. Um, and they said, we've got rent relief dollars ready for landlords, for these independent landlords who are struggling. And they, they tried to broadcast this and they got nothing and no one responded. And the reason for that is because the, the local government and these organizations actually didn't have an effective way of communicating. In fact, they don't actually even know who the local landlords in their community are. And so what, what we've seen during this pandemic is that um, it's, it's really exposed that there is no good infrastructure for, number one, gathering data. So data that we talked about earlier, um, local governments and even people throughout all parts of government don't know what this part of the market really truly looks like. Um, Number two, it's all around communication. So um, that outward kind of broadcast communication in terms of reaching landlords about stimulus and about relief programs and stuff, governments just aren't equipped uh, to be able to to do that at scale. Likewise, they're they're also not able to hear and listen when people raise their hand and say, I need help. Um, Governments are, and our government and local government and everything, is not today very equipped to do that. And then number three is when the government sets up different rent relief programs, um, there's there's really challenging ways, um, and there really aren't ways, frankly, to disperse that relief in a way that it gets to precisely the landlords and the renters who need it most. And so one of the things that we're working on here at Avail is trying to think about building and developing a broader, call it an operating system for the rental market where a local government would be able to work with us and develop a local um, registry of sorts where landlords and renters would be able to participate in their community inside of a Avail and work on things like rent relief and build different communication programs. And that's one of the things that I'm personally most excited about next year is our ability to take the available platform and turn it into a platform for good. That is,
0: uh, that's fantastic. And, and it is, I mean, just what you've, what you've found through, um, through looking at the market this year, I mean, to think in the ultra connected world we live in, where we've done so much online and something as fundamental as housing, you would feel like that registry that you talk about would just exist. And, uh, but certainly, I agree that we're, we're a long ways from that. But uh, I think that you have a unique place in the market to kind of, um, you know, see and, and influence things to, to move to a better place, which is fantastic. It, it makes me think also of some of the other things that I've seen um, from some of your work where, you know, speaking before about, uh, you know, kind of the institutional market versus the market that, that you're in. And uh, sometimes we think about you know people struggling to make payments, and there needs to be a, a payment plan worked out. And that, and you know, in, in your space here, you know, this is really—it's not between a great big institution um, who has a lot of power and, uh, and a um, and a renter. Th- this is between kind of two human beings having interactions. And I think that
2: you're able to see uh, that kind of thing as well. Is that right? That's absolutely right, Stephen. I think that that's really important to just further kind of paint and illustrate. And I can share a couple of anecdotes, but um, that's right. The individual landlord who is just frankly struggling to get by themselves. They're not these deep-pocketed, wealthy people or institutions. These are everyday men and women. They're your local doctor, your attorney, your firefighter, your librarian that happen to own one rental on the side or a couple rentals and um, they're really just trying to get by, pursue the American dream. And so um, what I'd love to do is leave with a couple of uh, stories that just really illustrate who these people are. Um, I think it humanizes things a little bit. Um, We've got a landlord. um, The first first quote that I want to share is from a landlord uh, who owns two to four properties in Minnesota. And she said, I'll be trapped and squeezed in the middle with limited or no rental income coming, due, coming in due to the extension of the eviction moratorium and the expiration of federal unemployment benefits. This is really not good. And in fact, it's really painful. And that's a, that's a landlord just with a small portfolio in Minnesota. On the, the renter side, I mean a couple of stories so here's a renter down in texas Uh, he says it's been so hard paying rent my hours were reduced at work and i have no family to help me please help or a tenant in colorado who said this is particularly a hard time for families due to the crisis please help us and please be patient with us when it comes to paying our rent um i mean these are these are our, our fellow men and women who they're, they're just wanting to do the right thing, and unfortunately, this pandemic has uprooted, has caused such a disruption for all of us. But I think the the thing that we would just ask is um, and encourage is just uh, open, honest communication. Because in the rental market, what we've found and and have frankly been surprised by is how willing landlords and renters are in working together to find. As close to win-win solutions as they can.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you, Ryan. And uh, I, I mean, I think it, it is. Uh, I mean, we have working in the housing industry. You're really affecting, you know, fundamental parts of people's lives. And I think that uh, you're you're sitting in a position where you're able to see it from the perspective of the owners and the and the renters. And certainly, um, we're we're at a stage right now where it looks like some additional stimulus is coming through. That's that's so key and so important. And uh, and hopefully. We can all look back on this, and the system will work better, and, uh, and we'll know more about the market because of, of where you're at. So thanks for being here, Ryan.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Steve and Corey, for having me. It was really great talking with you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.